Due to weather difficulties interrupting my signal last night, the broadcast from last night was canceled, and obviously, I'm on tonight. Confuse them with silence. When those around you desire to infringe upon your privacy or in an argument and try to force you to respond to their ugly words, it seems that most times the problems that we have with ourselves as humans is the problem of saying what is not yet ready to be put forth. We all seem to have this problem, and most times there's countless reasons why we do this. For example, to make people know who we are, you know, that we're somebody, that we have worth. We try to make ourselves look big or try to talk others down. And sometimes we try to gain some respect aggressively by raising our voices and forcing people to listen so that we can demand some godlike reverence to ourselves. We are ready to say everything that can be said to have stand on a position that is of worth and make people see us as important. And in the process, we say more than we actually should. Have you ever thought of the importance of silence? Have you ever thought of the reason that You've been given two lips and a brain to think. The main reason is for you to know by reasoning the time to talk and the time not to talk. To be able to envisage when our words are needed to be heard and when we are to be silent, even when the situation and circumstances around us seemingly want us to speak out. Yes. Life can be a bit complicated and demanding. It can throw you off balance and give you no reason to be logical. However, since you have no control over many situations, you do have control over your own life. Look at yourself more than you look at and meditate on others. Saying too much is providing an arsenal for you to get hurt with your own words. So be mysterious, on the other hand, and make people go the extra mile to want to be your friend, to get to know the real you. You do not want to give them any ammunition to attack you verbally, so be still. Be still in your conversations and thoughts, and keep the people around you guessing. Keep them wondering and looking over their shoulder for you instead of arguing with them. And they're going to yell at you in an argument. You do, and you say nothing. You're not doing them a favor by remaining silent. You're doing yourself a favor. Hearing nothing from you will give them much to think about when they want to approach you. You become that guy or that girl that makes them feel unsure about themselves. Your silence disrupts their confidence in their ability to tear you down. It breaks their flow of thought regarding you. And they just just do not know how to get to you anymore. And you don't have to give them any means or a reason to. It's like a man who goes to a party with his friends and he does not dance. Nobody is going to laugh at his dance moves. You know why? Because he has not danced. They will keep coming up with ways to define you just because 
You never provided them with any. Instead of you trying to give reasons as to why you are equal and why they are wrong, why not just keep quiet and steadily work towards your dream, bearing in mind that you have a goal better than the circumstances that are around you. We've heard the popular expression, silence is the best response to a fool. The people around you do not necessarily need to be proven as fools because the whole essence of going down a particular path is for your own sake. Why do you not keep them confused by your silence? Keep them entirely thinking about you while you stay focused on your own goals. In anger, people reveal who they truly are. For the abundance of their heart, their mouth speaks. So sit back and listen to their heart. Nobody is you. And that is what makes us all unique. Different. Nobody can be you. The moment you start to realize that nobody knows anything about you is the moment that you will begin to understand that talking to convince people about who you are does not really work. You do not need to tell them who you are. Let them find out on their own. Do not give them exactly what they need to say about you. Let them play the guessing game. And you don't do not necessarily need to respond to anything they say if they intend to draw a negative reaction from you. Just leave them in silence and let their actions do the talking. Smile on and confuse them with your choice to say nothing. All you are required to do is listen and let them seek your voice. Let them find it hard to figure you out. What is more fun than giving people virtually nothing revealing about you while you live your life to the fullest? Now, most of the time, it is wise to say nothing until it is time to say checkmate. Hey everyone and welcome to Around the Campfire with Kate where surviving, thriving, and staying alive is the goal. The video that you are about to hear is a motivational speech at a college graduation given by Denzel Washington. The speech is simple yet profound. It is chocked full of wisdom yet it is simple to understand. I now have a website that you can listen to my live shows and the past shows. The website is aroundthecampfirewithkate.blogspot.com. That's aroundthecampfirewithkate.blogspot.com. And if you have any questions or comments for me, you can reach out to me at aroundthecampfirewithkate at gmail.com. This is a live call-in show, so if you want to call in and make a statement or just give your opinion, you can call by going to that website or by going to PSN TV and click on the Skype icon. Put God first. Put God first in everything you do. Everything that you think you see in me, everything that I've accomplished, everything that you think I have, and I have a few things, everything that I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It's a gift. 40 years ago, March 27th, 1975, it was 40 years ago, uh, just this past March, I was flunking out of college. I had a 1.7 grade point average. I hope none of you can relate. <laughs> I had a 1.7 grade point average. 
I was sitting in my mother's beauty shop and I'm looking in the mirror and I see behind me this woman under the dryer. And every time she looked up, she every time I looked up, she was looking at me, just looking me in the eye. And I didn't know who she was, and I said, you know, she said, somebody give me a pen, give me a pencil. I have a prophecy. March 27, 1975. She said, boy, you are going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Now, mind you, I flunked out of college. I'm thinking about joining the army. I didn't know what I was going to do. And she's telling me I'm going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Well, I have traveled the world. And I have spoke to millions of people. But that's not the most important thing, the success that I had. The most important thing is that what she taught me and what she told me that day has stayed with me since. I've been protected. I've been directed. I've been corrected. I've kept God in my life and has kept me humble. I didn't always stick with him, but he always stuck with me. So stick with him in everything you do. If you think you want to do what you think I've done, then do what I've done and stick with God. Number two, fail big. That's right. Fail big. Today is the beginning of the rest of your life, and it can be, it's going to be very frightening. It's a new world out there. It's a mean world out there. And you only live once. So do what you feel passionate about, passionate about. Take chances professionally. Don't be afraid to fail. There's an old IQ test was nine dots. And you had to draw five lines with a pencil within these nine dots without lifting the pencil. The only way to do it was to go outside the box. So don't be afraid to go outside the box. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. Don't be afraid to fail big, to dream big. But remember, dreams without goals are just dreams. And they ultimately fuel disappointment. So have dreams, but have goals, life goals, yearly goals, monthly goals, daily goals. I try to give myself a goal every day. Sometimes just to not curse somebody out. <laughs> Simple goals, but have goals. And understand that to achieve these goals, you must apply discipline, and consistency in order to achieve your goals you must apply discipline which you have already done and consistency every day not just on Tuesday and miss a few days you have to work at it every day you have to plan every day you heard the saying we don't plan to fail we fail to plan hard work works Working really hard is what successful people do. And in this text, tweet, twerk world that you've grown up in, <laughs> remember, just because you're doing a lot more doesn't mean you're getting a lot more done. Remember that. Just because you're doing a lot more doesn't mean you're getting a lot more done. Don't confuse movement 
with progress. My mother told me, she said, yeah, because you can run in place all the time and never get anywhere. So continue to strive, continue to have goals, continue to progress. Number three, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. I'll say it again. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. I don't care how much money you make, you can't take it with you. The Egyptians tried it. They got robbed. That's all they got. You can't take it with you. With you. And it's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. We all have different talents. Some of you will be doctors, some lawyers, some scientists, some educators, some nurses, some teachers. Yeah, okay. <laughs> some preachers. The most selfish thing you can do in this world is help someone else. Why is it selfish? Because the gratification, the goodness that comes to you, the good feeling, the good feeling that I get from helping others, nothing's better than that. Well, one or two things, but nothing's better than that. Not, not jewelry, not big house I have, not the cars, but the, the, it's the joy. That's where the joy is in helping others. That's where the success is in helping others. Finally, I pray that you put your slippers way under the bed tonight so that when you wake up in the morning you have to get on your knees to reach them and while, you, when, while you're down there say thank you for grace thank you for mercy thank you for understanding thank you for wisdom thank you for parents Thank you for love. Thank you for kindness. Thank you for humility. Thank you for peace. Thank you for prosperity. Say thank you in advance for what's already yours. That's how I live my life. That's where I, why I am, one of the reasons why I am today. Say thank you in advance for what is already yours. True desire in the heart for anything good is God's proof to you sent beforehand to indicate that it's yours already. I'll say it again. True desire in the heart, that itch that you have, whatever it is you want to do, that thing that you want to do to help others and to, to grow and to make money, that desire, that itch, that's God's proof to you sent beforehand already to indicate that it's yours. And anything you want good, you can have. So claim it. Work hard to get it. When you get it, reach back. Pull someone else up. Each one, teach one. Don't just aspire to make a living. Aspire to make a difference. The information contained in this broadcast is provided for informational purposes only for this next session of what I'm going to talk about and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. 
You should not act or refrain from acting on the basis of any content included in this broadcast without seeking legal or other professional advice. The contents of this broadcast contain general information and may not reflect the current legal developments or address your situation. We disclaim all liability for actions that you take or fail to take based on any content on this show. Our lives are filled with a colorful variety of helmet fires that occur almost daily. We are continually reacting to one pop-up target after another. The news broadcasts sensationalize topics riddled with inaccuracies. Social media feeds the anxiety and work demands more and more of our time and attention. The weight of this noise is crushing. So, it's time to take to the woods. The Japanese call it Shinrik Yoku, or forest bath. Psychologists call it outdoor therapy. Norwegians call it sleeve or open air living. Regardless of what you call it, the necessity is obvious and the benefits are clear. Even Jesus himself regularly escaped to the wild places. In Luke 15, 15 to 17 in the Amplified Version, it says, But the news about him was spreading farther and large crowds kept gathering to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray in seclusion. It's noteworthy here that Jesus took the time to peel off from the group, not just once, but often. Sick people that needed healing would have to wait. He knew that his escape would refresh him, and he could come back in greater capacity. So with that in mind, try telling me that you're too busy or you have too many pressing concerns to find the time to get out in the woods just for a little while. I've been a woods practitioner since I was a little girl. I didn't grasp the significance when I was littler, but I knew something outside had a certain healing quality about it. And as a survival instructor, I walked hundreds of students into the woods and have repeatedly seen the transformative power that it has on people. This power was the primary influence on why I chose to live in the mountains. I'm more present out here, and I know it's where I belong. I can hear and experience God in high definition when I'm in the wilderness, much more than I ever have in even the most dynamic church services. And that's not going against any churches either. It's just easier for me to understand the enormity and creativity of God by becoming small and surrounded by the detail and magnitude of his creation. Psalms 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So you plan it. A few things I think are essential when escaping in the woods. Number one, place your phone on airplane mode. I have so many ideas that come up during these times that I need to take notes to capture them. Otherwise, I would leave the phone at home. If you can leave your phone behind, I would do it. If not, make sure that you cannot receive texts and calls or notifications. Otherwise, you're just reinviting the noise that you're trying to escape. 
Number two, walking should be a solid portion of this time away. We were made to walk, and much of our lives have eradicated this essential form of locomotion. Walking has its own healing properties, and this movement opens space for problem-solving, analytic thinking, slowing our sense of time, situational awareness to observe our environment, and noise cancellation. Three, bring a hammock. All that walking around can wear you out, and frankly, hammocks are just plain nice. It gives you a good place to have a seat for lunch. Um, I use the E-N-O single nest that you can get from Walmart or Amazon for around 50 bucks. Number four, bring food and water. You need to take your time. So plan on having a meal out there. Then there's no need to rush back because your stomach thinks that your throat's been cut. Food tastes better outside anyway. So why not incorporate it? So now... Do it. I know I'm not the only one who's seen this fairly overt conspiracy thrusting our society indoors. Between streaming video, big TVs, gaming, high-speed internet, and DVRs, we're losing the battle. We used to be wanderers, nomads that made a living on their feet, constantly exposed to the natural environment. We've traded our physical and mental fitness for technology and convenience. And it's stressing us out and destroying our health and resilience. It's time to turn it around, one piece at a time. The woods aren't the only place to make this happen. Just some form of nature, as quiet as you can get it. Daily exercise can dial down the noise. And I can't begin to emphasize how important that is. But a trip to the wild places can really give you a hard reboot that you need. So what are you doing this Saturday? Plan it out. The juice is worth the squeeze. The Aboriginal people use a method of navigation where they recite songs about landscape features to travel across the back country as well as communicate directions through the use of this verbal map known as a song line. By singing the song line, In the correct order, these indigenous travelers are capable of accurately navigating massive distances through the Australian landscape simply by picking out landmarks from the song along the way. Now, back in Genesis 13, Abraham used a variation of the same concept by building altars at different locations where God had blessed him. These altars in today's context are landmarks where God showed up in a memorable way. We have all of these moments. But I'm betting that the most of of us, most of us are pretty bad about recalling the good times, especially when we're staring at the obstacle in front of us. Sometimes we think he is not the same God in the current dilemma, but we need to use those landmarks as a reference point to keep us oriented in who he is and where we have been. I've spent a lot of value on adopting the songline or landmark method in my life by building an ongoing prayer list that has two categories, the asked and the answered. I didn't start out this way, but was an adaptation as I started to notice how many things on this list had been answered. These answered prayers became landmarks to me, places in my life where I could see how God showed up in both critical and complementary ways.
The prayers on my list that have yet to be answered become a milestone that I keep my eye on as I walk through my faith. Between the landmarks of answered prayers and the unanswered milestones that I wait on, I stay oriented in the journey that God has for me. This song line I've established reminds me of his action in past events, and I'm better positioned to see him move in current and future situations. The song line approach has changed my prayer life as well. Sometimes I don't even get the items on my prayer list talked about to God because I'm scrolling through all of those landmarks of the past saying, thank you. And I'm no longer burdened by the requests that I've showed up for, but instead my prayer turns into worship and that brings his peace into my life. I leave focusing on who God is in my life and not what the problems that are remaining. When I taught land and navigation, one technique we used was point-to-point navigation. And you're literally moving from landmark to landmark so as to not stray from your course of travel. By now you can see the parallel with our faith is trusting these landmarks that God has placed in our lives. So even when we get disoriented or hopelessly lost and our mental compass tries to pull us from the path, we have a solid point of reference that keeps us moving in the right direction. Think of the big answers in your prayer life. Are they landmarks that you're frequently referencing to stay the course and remind you of what God has brought you out of? Do you realize that this is your very own song line, song line with God. If you need some motivation on song line development, David in the Bible lays out a pretty solid template in the, in the book of Psalms. Keep in mind that the song line is also a method of communication. So once you've got a song line established, share it with a friend who needs encouragement. Also, sing it to your kids who will need these waypoints as they walk their own path. And I'm going to give you a quick tip on portable water generator. I talked with a guy the other day whose car battery died while he was up in the mountains, way up in the mountains with snow everywhere. His estimation had him about 12 miles from the nearest town, so he decided he didn't need to take his water bottle with him. It wasn't too cold, so he stayed plenty warm just at walking speed, and he was a little too warm, actually. He told me he was sweating and resorted to eating snow to try to stay hydrated. His one-way trip turned out to be more like 35 miles, and it took him a little more than 12 hours to find his way. So there's always takeaways from this. But I will focus on two. One, always take the water bottle. Two, Generate your own water with the wide mouth bottle. In Arctic Survival, we teach students to keep a wide mouth bottle like a Nalgene bottle or a GSI between layers to keep it from freezing. Every time that they take a sip of water, which should be frequently, they throw in a couple handfuls of snow. This slowly melts from riding along in your layers while they complete other tasks and replenishes the water that they're drinking. We never want to let the bottle go empty as the water that's 
in the bottle helps melt the snow as much great at a much greater rate than just throwing snow in a dry bottle. So keep in mind that the snow to the water ratio is about 10 to 1, but can be as high as 25 to 1. So keep an eye on your water level. You may need to add snow more frequently than you are drinking. Give this a try on your next winter hike. And have a go bag ready at a moment's notice. We live in strange times. The normalcy bias tells us that nothing bad has happened before, so nothing bad's going to happen in the future. That's probably not the safest way to live. We've seen rioting and all sorts of chaos when the weather turns bad. During social unrest, have you thought about what happens in a gunfight? outside your door that lasts for more than just one magazine. So what should you carry? Magazines? The more the better. For your primary and secondary weapons, a trauma kit with a tourniquet and some survival and navigational essentials should you have have to temporarily relocate. Some may find this notion a little overkill. It might be. But chance favors the prepared. And the threat is real. Since 9-11 and the last several years of the Trump administration with Antifa and BLM rioting and looting and raping and murdering, the nation has become more attuned to the fact that evil exists in this world and that we need those who will fight against it. More than ever, the general public has acknowledged the incredible duty that our police, firefighters, and military take on every day. But what makes these people who they are? Who are these heroes that stand in the gap when evil comes to steal, kill, and destroy? In David Grossman's excellent book called On Combat, he describes three types of people that exist in our society, sheep, wolves, and sheepdogs. He explains that Quote, most of the people in our society are sheep. They are kind and gentle, productive creatures who can only hurt one another by accident, unquote. He goes on to describe the wolves who, quote, feed on the sheep without mercy, unquote. The last type of people are sheepdogs who, quote, protect the flock and confront the wolf, unquote. He describes in further detail, quote, if you have no capacity for violence, then you are a healthy, productive citizen. A sheep, if you have a capacity for violence and no empathy for your fellow citizens, then you have to find an aggressive sociopath, a wolf. But when you have a capacity for violence and a deep love for your fellow citizen, then you are a sheepdog, a warrior, someone who is walking a hero's path, someone who can walk into the heart of darkness, into the universal human phobia, and walk out unscathed, unquote. Clint Emerson of SEAL Team 6, a retired Navy SEAL, has three excellent books available, all entitled 101 Deadly Skills, yet each book is specific for different scenarios. One is 101 Deadly Skills for Your Home, one is for Wilderness Survival, and one is for Combat. These books are amazing reads, and I encourage anyone to get these books, you will not be disappointed. 
God was often referred to as a shepherd. And with us being made in his image, the sheepdog analogy is not that far of a stretch. We know that evil occurs every day. Matthew 10.16 says, Look, I am sending you out as a sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. In society, the wolves are the bad guys. In the kingdom of heaven, the wolf is the enemy. He comes in many forms, often wearing sheep's clothing. But who are the sheepdogs in God's kingdom? Who else? The men, of course. And some women. God has called men to this role, and he has placed you in the capacity for violence. Matthew eleven twelve says, The kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault, and the violent men seize it by force. Wait a minute, shrewd and violent? That doesn't sound very Christian to me. Those are very powerful words, and don't often jive with the church culture, do they? Actually, they sum up Jesus perfectly. Keep in mind, Jesus was an outlaw. He was sent deep behind enemy lines to outsmart the opposition while training others to do his work. He pulled no punches, and he used his cunning and fierceness to confront the wolf. And now, it's up to us. John 20.21 says, Just as the Father sent me, I send you. And here's the dig. By and large, Christian men are often a confused breed. In the book Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, he sums it up best. He says, quote, The problem with men, we are told, is that they don't know how to keep their promises, to be spiritual leaders, to talk to their wives or raise their children. But if they will try real hard, they can reach the lofty summit of becoming a nice guy. He goes on to say, walk into most churches of America, have a look around and ask yourself this question. What is a Christian man? Don't listen to what is said. Look at what you find there. There's no doubt about it. You have to admit that a Christian man is bored. Eldridge adds, how can a man know he is one when he is His highest aim is to just minding his manners. So how does he know as a Christian? Men were made in God's image. Jesus was fierce. Remember the temple scene? The Bible says, And in the temple he found the people who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers sitting at the tables. He made a whip of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Then to those who sold the doves, he said, take these things away, stop making my father's house a place of commerce. In John two fourteen through 16. Jesus didn't just fly off the handle in a fit of rage. He took the time to make a whip of cords, showing that his actions were purposeful, deliberate, and determined. Also note that he scattered the coins and overturned the tables. This was not an orderly procession. Jesus was wreaking havoc. As sheepdogs, we must realize that fierce action and havoc have their place on the battlefield, and we are the ones deputized to deliver it when applicable. 
This requires two things of us. One, keeping our eyes and ears open for the presence of the wolf. And two, speed, surprise, and violence of action when engaged in combat. How do I know these things? Well, let's take a look at David in the Bible, who's an incredible sheepdog. He didn't waste any time confronting the enemy. He had his ears open. He identified the threat, and he handled it the way God trained him to as a boy, with violence. Let's check out what was playing out on the scene on the day that Goliath was killed. Goliath issues a challenge to the army of Israel. It says that when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen that giant, they said? Obviously, this is the biggest wolf they've ever seen, and it had him paralyzed. It sounds a lot like sheep behavior to me. David's three eldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem and then go back to the front and check on his brothers. It seems that David was already serving in a sheepdog capacity back home. God had directed his steps from day one, preparing him for the hour that was soon approaching. The Bible says, One day Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and then ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report to me of how they're doing. So David was just delivering food to his brothers that day. But here's Goliath's taunt to Israel's army. The sheepdog's hackles are up now. David could have stuck to the script and returned to his father with his report on his brothers. But just like a sheepdog, he chose to engage in spite of his brother's irritation. The Bible says that when David's eldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? David was undeterred. He knows that there's sheep here that needs his attention, and he already has a battle plan. He said, I've taken care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for as he has defiled the armies of the living God. Those are powerful words. So to David, a wolf by any other name or size for that matter, it's just a wolf. Take note of David's fierce and violent nature in the example he uses. He said, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Grabbing the enemy by its weapon is a full-on frontal assault. Then he clubs it to death. I don't know how many of you have ever clubbed an animal to death, but it's a sobering encounter that requires great ferocity. In the same way God made David dangerous, he made you just as dangerous. He's prepared you for great battles, and those battles rage every day. The enemy is after your marriage, your family, your relationships, your job, your friends, your mind. He wants you dead, 
but barring that, he is satisfied rendering you ineffective for any battle. The world needs sheepdogs for protection against the bad guys, but the kingdom of heaven needs sheepdogs to confront the wolf. Spiritual warfare rages in our lives constantly. Your family, your church, your community need you to be a sheepdog and a sacrifice required to do the demonstrations of Christ's love more than any other act. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Now, don't get me wrong. Not all situations required an instant jump to violence, especially physical violence. Jesus used a number of different tactics to get the job done, and most of the time, he used the deadliest weapon of all that was right between his ears. And that same arsenal is available to you. Your brain. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says, But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Threats are a wide-ranging dynamic. The threats are gossip, lies, pornography. So sheepdogs must be use a varied approach when confronting the enemy. After all, the best fighters are constantly changing their line of attack. This is why avoiding complacency and staying on top of our training is so vital. If a modern-day Spartan was sitting around on his butt soaking up the TV, the Persians would eat his lunch. Etching out time every day for prayer, devotion, and accountability keeps the weapon sharp. Jesus' actions set the example for us, purposeful, deliberate, and determined. That's a good place to start. And another good place to start is by using the handbook that God gave us. And please understand that you have a choice in this. God gave man free will, so it's your decision. Grossman concludes in his book that, quote, if you want to be a sheepdog and walk the warrior's path, then you must make a conscious and moral decision every day to dedicate, equip, and prepare yourself to thrive in that toxic, corrosive moment when the wolf becomes knocking at your door. Guys, the enemy has been knocking on the door a long time. He's advanced way beyond the warning stage, and we cannot deny it any longer. Grossman explains, quote, It is denial that turns people into sheep. Sheep are psychologically destroyed by combat because their only defense is denial, which is counterproductive and destructive, resulting in fear, helplessness, and horror when the wolf shows up. Remember, we were made in God's image. The Lord is a warrior, and the Lord is his name. Violence, preparation, and response. The weather was cool, but it was a nice evening for dinner downtown with his wife and daughter. Chris parked his truck in the adjoining parking lot as the girls jumped out and headed toward the restaurant to get their seats. Chris threw on his coat, locked up the car, and turned to catch up to his wife and daughter already approaching the door of the restaurant. This night was like any other night, and they looked forward to a good meal from a place that they'd been to countless times. Chris's hands were in his jacket pockets when he glanced at his watch to check the time. Then he looked up to notice a young man in his late 20s cut him off on the sidewalk. He was immediately irate, and he was yelling in Chris's face, Who the F are you, bro? You got a problem? 
Chris was thrown off, but quickly noticed the other two guys approaching their hostile cohort. The verbal assault continued as Chris slowly backed away while attempting to use his body language and words to de-escalate the situation. Nothing he could say seemed to deter the trio, intentions built when one of them put his hand in his pocket and asked Chris if he wanted to die and get shot. What this guy did not know is Chris is an avid shooter who carries religiously and that his three eighty was already trained on him from the concealment of his jacket pocket. He had his hand on the weapon the instant the first guy got in his face. Now the gun was drawn from the sticky holster. His finger was on the trigger and ready to go without even the need to draw it from his pocket. The guy slowly pulled his hand out with his finger and thumb extended like a gun. In that instant of the slow draw, Chris's mind raced between engaging the possible threat and restraint. He didn't want to shoot this guy, but was this guy really pulling a gun on him? There was no way to know what was coming out of that guy's coat. The thug pointed his finger and elevated thumb at Chris and said, Bang! Then laughed, choosing not to shoot and feeling relieved seeing no weapon. Chris said, You almost made a huge mistake. This reignited the rage and one of them when he stated, why? You got a gun, bitch? I'll take that shit from you right now. While sidestepping the group, Chris replied, you don't need to worry about what I've got. As their heads turned to follow his movement, they picked up on Chris's wife only 30 feet away, who had already had her gun out of her purse and leveled on the group of thugs. As a side note, Chris's daughter carries as well. Chris joined the ladies and instructed his wife to put the weapon away. They entered the restaurant, called the police to report the incident, and enjoyed their dinner while waiting for the officers to arrive and take their statements. Chris is an easygoing guy in his mid-50s who never puts himself in a dangerous situation until that day and never had an incident where he nearly pulled the trigger on someone. It shook him up quite a bit. It even unsettled me when he told it to me. It could have easily been me with my friends that night instead. Or it could have been you. Chris was ready to act. His wife, even his daughter, were ready. Would you be ready? Would you be trained? Carrying concealed is one of the best forms of self-protection, but not everyone has the option of carrying concealed. Maybe you're limited by the state where you reside, a country you're traveling to, or even your financial situation. The focus here is that there are other options to mitigate threats and deal with hostilities. The bad guys will often broadcast pre-attack pre-attack cues that you can pick up on, but only if you got your head on a swivel and are tuned into your environment and not your cell phone. What kind of neighborhood are you on? It's dark. What are the bad guys' concealment options, ambush positions in the space you're in? What are your escape routes if you're in trouble? When you are assessing the people in your area, are they lurking? What is their purpose for being there? Are they dressed appropriately for the setting? Do they have anything in their hands? Is their face, head obscured in any way? Is their behavior appropriate? 
Are they start staring you down? Are they casting subtle glances? For more into this, check out the book, The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBeaker. Strength in numbers. In Chris's scenario, his wife and daughter were about 30 feet ahead of him. Had they been walking together, would the confrontation still occur? Maybe, but predators tend to target individuals and not groups. They want the easy kill. Positioning is also a factor in groups, especially when you have kids or other non-combatants. The stronger defenders need to be closer to the anticipated threat, like your children, between the parents, etc. You need to be a hard target. Projecting anger can throw off a potential predator. If Chris had detected the danger beforehand, what would the bad guys think if he had his phone up to his ear and yelled into it? What the hell do you want? I told you to stop jerking me around, and so on. Maybe even acting dramatically pissed without the phone, throwing his arms up in the air and cursing under his breath as he storms by. They want an easy kill. Remember that. Obviously, they may not. this may not work in all cases, but it could have detoured the three douchebags that were trying to out-macho each other. If you spend much time on this broad, in my broadcast, you'll see a common theme often repeated. There's no substitute for physical and mental fitness. It's a force multiplier that gives you so many and more options for defense. If you've ever been in a fight, you know what that it's nothing like the movies. It's messy, and you don't know what's coming next. Lots of improvising is required, and help is not necessarily right around the corner. Fitness means the difference between life and death. This ends the broadcast for tonight. Thank you for joining me around my campfire. Remember to train hard, train smart, to survive, thrive, and stay alive. This is Kate, signing off until next time.